Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey everyone, good morning. That song gets you hyped, right? We were, we were listening to a lot of these, uh, these sermons this summer, driving in the car, and whenever the beginning would kick on, our son Moses in the backseat would just start rocking back and forth with the, the rock music. It was pretty good. Uh, well, good morning. It's so excited to have you guys all here with us today. Uh, first off, just let me say that it's our prayer that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that you feel loved, safe, and welcome here at this church. No matter if you're just over the moon, excited, overjoyed with, with what God is doing in your life and around you, or you're coming in, just exploring, trying to see who is God? Is he real? What, what is this all about? Uh, or you're coming in and you're like, I do not believe this. I'm here because a friend brought me here, and I'm just going to sit here and be here. Wherever you are, you're loved, safe, and welcome here, and we are so thankful that you are here. Like Drake said, my name is Fitz, uh, not Fitz Fitzpatrick. Uh, actually, my, my full name is Michael Fitzpatrick, uh, and you know what? I've been here for a year, and some of you might not know that. You know, I just go by Fitz. Um, Fitz I've gone by Fitz ever since the sixth grade, uh, but here's the fam. Uh, myself, Olivia, and Moses. Honestly, you might know Moses better than you know me. He kind of wanders the halls, points at people, brings joy everywhere he goes. Olivia is similar. She does less pointing, same amount of joy. She's great. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're so good, glad to be here. Um, we've, we've been coming to City Church for about a year now, and we've actually been gone for the past two months, and we've really missed it here. Uh, Olivia and I work for a Christian ministry called Crew uh, slash Lifelines, and this summer we were gone doing some, some work with them, some summer mission type stuff. If you're interested in hearing uh, about the, some of the stories, you know, come and catch me after, after the sermon. Uh, I'd love to, love to share with you all the cool, crazy stuff that happened. Uh, but this is, this is a photo from uh, Moses' first birthday party. It was an absolute joy, an absolute uh, good time, and it's a perfect transition into what we're going to be talking about today uh, because we're in Nehemiah 12 today. This is the party. It is the celebration. We've walked a long journey. Uh, we've seen Nehemiah called. We've seen this burden placed on his heart to go and rebuild a wall, uh, and we've seen, uh, we've seen just the, the struggles that he's experienced going through it, and it's party time. Chapter 12 is party time. So we're, I, I get the fun, exciting uh, message to come and share with you all. Uh, very exciting. Um, we're talking about joy. We're talking about celebration. Um, and, and in this moment, the picture that I showed you, it was easy for us to celebrate. It was easy for us to experience joy. We've had this, this child in our life for a year, and it's just been an absolute good time. Uh, if for the people in the book of Nehemiah, after having gone uh, years and years without, without security, without having their, their walls around them, being discarded all, all across the, the countryside, all across the area, not being together, finally having the temple rebuild, the walls rebuild, I'll explain the significance of all that, is an easy moment for them to just let out a cry of joy and thankfulness. Uh, but it's not always easy, right? It's not always easy. We don't always have these great, perfect circumstances that are motivating us to just be thankful and have joy. Sometimes we experience hard things. Sometimes there are just moments in life uh, where 
It's, it's just a harder season for us, and it's a lot harder for us to express that joy, that thankfulness, and that gratitude. For me, I kind of had this saying when I was in college that I had three thieves of joy, three main enemies in my life. Uh, those were math, the winter, and myself. These things would come for me, you know? Uh, for me, math, just like any time that I had a math, math course in college, it was, it was just especially difficult for me. Some of you may be inclined on that. I'm so thankful that you exist. If it was up to me, we'd be in a world of trouble. Uh, but it would put me in the pit, just having to slog through these hard, difficult tasks. Uh, in the winter, I grew up in Boston, uh, and now I'm living here in Boulder, not places where someone who hates the winter should be, uh, but it's, it's something that has definitely given me thankfulness for the other seasons of life. But honestly, in those seasons, you know, a lot of us experience seasonal affective depression, right? Where in, in the winter, you really come down, you experience that pit, right? Um, um, and so even when there's good things happening, even when, when I can see there is good around me, uh, these things would, would make it hard for me to be thankful. They'd make it hard for me to experience happiness and joy the way that I would, I would want to. Um, and then myself, you know, I think we can all probably say that ourselves are our greatest enemy, you know, the thing that, that holds us back the most, the person who's telling us lies that pro prohibit us from living the life that we're called to. Um, we could probably all relate to that to some level. Uh, but I, I would love to ask you guys to think for yourselves. What are your thieves of joy? You know in your life What are the things the circumstances that come to mind for you that make it hard for you to lean in to thankfulness? That make it hard for you to lean into gratitude and to truly experience joy And maybe it's something silly uh, and kind of seemingly insignificant as the math or the winter uh, Or maybe it's something a lot bigger for you uh, Maybe it's it's just a difficult season in your life struggle in a relationship the loss of a loved one Maybe it's a worldwide pandemic that's really putting you in the pit. Maybe it's war overseas in Ukraine that just, just burdens your heart and, and makes it hard for you to see the good in life. There are these things all around us. It doesn't take us to look, take, it, take long for us to look around and see these things that are really dragging us down and make it hard for us to really experience joy and thankfulness. Uh, but I do want to be clear as I talk about, talk through this message, what I am speaking about when I talk about about joy. Um, here's a, a quote from, from uh, an author, Rick Warren. Um, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the term, determined choice to praise God in every situation. It's a little biblical perspective of, of what joy is. It's not the same thing as happiness. It's not the same thing as just feeling good or just, just having a, a moment of excitement and um, just positive emotions in general, it's different from that, right? It's, it's sort of below the surface and it's continuous and it's just this knowledge, this perspective that everything is gonna be all right. God is in control, I have trust in him and things will be okay, even when we experience the hard things. Even when we're, we're in that place where it's hard, hard to put a smile on your face. You can still experience joy. You can still experience that trust in God in those moments. Uh, so, yeah, I would just would love for us to understand that before moving forward, that I'm not calling all of us to be happy, go lucky all the time. That is not what we're called to. That's not human. It is totally human to experience waves of emotions, to experience highs and to experience lows. We are not called to put on a fake front. We're called to be authentic. You know, we're called to, to be honest about what we're experiencing and trust God in the process. Um, here's, here's a little um, verse 
from Romans 12. It says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Just a little basic emotional intelligence for us, right? <laughs> right? You know, when people are ecstatic, when there are good things going on in their life, they share with you. My wife and I have been trying for three years and finally we're pregnant. We're so excited. We're going to have a child come join us. Your response is not, take it easy. There are people suffering around the world. Right? No, we rejoice with people who rejoice. And, and on the same end of the scale, if somebody comes, comes and share, shares with you some really hard news, you're not just going to say, quick, pep it up. Come on. Like, I know you're going through something hard, but Jesus is he's in control, you know? You're, you're going to mourn with those who mourn. You're going to rejoice with those who, who rejoice. Uh, chapter 12 in Romans, really good, just basic uh, instruction on how to live as followers of Jesus. Some of it's just great emotional intelligence. Some of it's a little bit deeper. Uh, I encourage you to, to go to that space and learn from there. Um, so that's, that's a little build up to what we're talking about, joy, uh, that we'll see the people in the book of Nehemiah expressing as they've finally come, they've had their, their temple rebuilt, their walls rebuilt, uh, they've been scattered, and finally there's this homecoming, and they, they're just giving thanks to God for it, and they're just overjoyed, they're flowing over with joy. So we can jump into the passage here. Whoa, that's pretty intimidating. That's a lot. Yeah. So um, I think oftentimes we're tempted when we're reading some Old Testament passages that have a long list of names to just skim by the names and not really pay attention. Uh, and I totally get that. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to skim by the names and, and we're not going to read all of these. But I do just want to encourage you, you know, uh, something that we've learned over the past year, if you've been here at City Church, is that the Bible is written in different genres uh, with different intents. Uh, Nehemiah is a bit of a narrative as well as a historical recounting. Uh, we have the names of people who are present. We have very specific numbers and measurements and all that. Uh, and while a lot of these names we can just kind of say, I can't pronounce that and just move by because we're not culturally uh, close to those names. We don't know how to pronounce them. We're not familiar with them. But it's worth it to take a second and look at a name and say that was a person who was alive in this moment that got to experience what, what God was doing. And to not look at the passage and just think uh, that this is something that happened in a far-off place, in a far-off culture that I can't relate to, but try and put yourself in the shoes of, of uh, Jehohanan. Jehohanan. <laughs> One of the names on there. Put your shoe, place in the shoes uh, of that person and see that this was something that really uh, happened, real history. We will skip by this and we'll move to some of the more context of what's going on in this passage. So we have uh, the dedication of the wall in Jerusalem. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites who were just the people who were sort of the priestly people of, of this nation. Uh, they kind of acted as intercessors for the people between them and God. Uh, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. They were uh, to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netopathites. They also came from Beth Gilgal and the rural areas near Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built their own settlements around Jerusalem. And so what had happened when Jerusalem was ransacked, the temple was destroyed, and the walls were broken down, is people couldn't keep living there. There was no more security. There was no more um, reason for them to be there. They would be completely vulnerable. And so they left. They went and they built settlements in these far-off rural places. So this is truly a homecoming for these people to come back to the place that they once knew, that the, the, their, their ancestors, their, their older people and their family once knew. 
The priests and the Levites first purified themselves, and then they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I, being Nehemiah, led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs to give thanks. One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them. They went straight up the steps on the ascent of the city wall toward the city of David. They passed to the house of David and then proceeded to the water gate on the east. So the kind of picture we're painting is how they're celebrating this as they've made this the, the wall has been rebuilt. The wall was about two and a half miles long, about 12 meters tall. You can kind of picture that in your minds. It's not some rinky-dinky wall. Uh, if you remember when Isaac was up here and he was sharing, there was, there was a, a moment in the chapter that he was preaching on where the people who were uh, jeering at them said that even if a fox walked on that wall, it would get knocked down. And here they are preparing to march a parade all around this thing. You know, So it's, it's pretty significant. Uh, you can kind of imagine something similar to the Great Wall of China, but way shorter, two and a half miles. You know, um, and, and it took them roughly 52 days to, to build, which is Pretty, pretty incredible, if, you know, construction workers nowadays. I don't know if you can build anything in 52 <laughs> days, right? Um, so, yeah, you can picture it. He's got one, one group uh, traveling one way on the wall, another group traveling the other, praising God all the way until they meet on the other side where they'll have kind of this culmination of this praise and thankfulness to God. Um, yeah, the second choir giving thanks went northward around the other way to meet them. I, being Nehemiah, followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall. The two choirs that were giving thanks then proceeded to the temple of God uh, where they took their places and so did I together with the group of leaders who were with me. They played and sang loudly under the direction of Jezrehiah, the choir director, and many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and the children also participated in the celebration and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. I think it's always helpful for us to try and put ourselves uh, in the position of the, the narrative that's happening in the story just to help us understand it a little bit more. Um, and, and we can really experience, we can really understand, start to feel a glimpse of this cause for great joy that, that God had given them. This long period where they, they had no hope, um, where they were discarded, they were separated, the, the city of Jerusalem was broken down, there's a new ruler over the nation, and We've heard through the past few weeks of the miraculous series of events, God speaking to Nehemiah, giving him a heart to come to this place to rebuild the walls, unsurmountable odds that looking at it from the outside before it happened, you think there's no way. There's no way that he's gonna be able to gather all those funds, get permission to go and make that happen. Um, and I hope you can see a little bit of the, how it points forward to the gospel in this. Where there was despair, there was brokenness, and there seemed like there was no way, God intervened and he made a way where there wasn't one. We can see in this, this Old Testament passage written like hundreds and thousands of years, I don't know the number, but before Jesus was here, it's pointing forward to that, right? We see that all throughout the Old Testament, you can see it pointing forward to Jesus. Um, and we see the people, they've, got, they've had uh, cause for great joy. Um, praise is a heart posture that is expressed outwardly. Let's just sit with that for a second. Praise is a heart posture that is expressed out, outwardly. We talk about praise and worship music a lot. We come and, and before and after service, we sing songs of praise, uh, but it's, it's more about the heart posture and how it's expressed outwardly. God is more concerned with our heart than he is with, specifically with our actions. Our actions will be an overflow of where our heart is at. And so 
Think, think about it for a moment. You know, I'm, I'm really guilty of this when I come and my mind is distracted and I'm in another place and I'm just reading the words for the worship songs that are, that are on there. That's, it's, it's me saying things that are uh, lifting up God and praising God, but my heart isn't honestly praising God. My heart is not in that moment. Even, even this morning, I came in the first song. I don't even know if I heard it. I said all the words, but I don't know if I heard it. You know, I was too preoccupied with what I was gonna say when I came up here. And it took me into that second song uh, where, where I really started to, to see the words that God's promises are yes and amen. We, we can trust and rest in his promises. And I saw that and I began to say it authentically from my heart. That's, that's what praise is. It doesn't, it's not just coming along and uh, saying words just for the sake of it. So we can take that into consideration while, while we're here. And it's, it's not just in songs, right? It's in conversations and moments with our friends and the people around us uh, that we point to God for the good that he's done. And so we, we can reflect on why they were praising God because, because of what he did. He gave them cause for great joy. There is another vo- verse here from John 15. Uh, it's these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, Jesus shared this, uh, this with his disciples after he had gone through the teaching of abiding in, in God, abiding in how he is the vine and we are the branches, that when we abide in God, uh, we, we truly experience the fullness of his joy. And so I encourage you also to go and check, check out that passage and, and see what God might speak to you in that. Uh, but we can, we can see how, how the saying that what God is telling us what we're seeing in his, in his word and, and um, here, here in, even in Nehemiah, we can see that we are being told this so that Christ's joy may be in us and that his joy may be full in us, to lean full in uh, to what, what God is showing us in this space. And I want you to, to ponder the question, has God given you cause for great joy? Just take a second and, and think about that, you know? Uh, whether, you know, you know, as I said at the start, Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're welcomed here, right? Whether you are, have been following God for as long as you can remember, has God given you cause for great joy? Uh, or you're just, you're just here trying to learn, trying to see who God might be. Is, the, is there something that God may have done or offered that has given you cause for great joy? We can think of this in, in the scale of moments, seasons, and in the greater overall scheme of life. Uh, for me, one moment this past summer while Olivia and I were gone that gave us and Olivia's family cause for great joy um, is, you know, when you think of a party, there's a lot of things that come to your mind. Usually you don't think funeral as the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of a party, but it's kind of that. You're getting together, you're celebrating a life. Uh, Olivia's grandfather passed away this summer and God was gracious enough to allow us to be there for that. Um, and in, in that space, preparing for the funeral and being with the family, uh, there was cause for great joy. Olivia's grandfather, for most of his life, didn't know the Lord. He was not a follower of Jesus, uh, and it wasn't until about the last two years of his life through Olivia and, and I meeting with him in, in the nursing home and just talking to him about things where, where God was gracious enough to, to, to give him the chance to, to, to follow him and to know him. And for all his life, the people that had known him had known him as someone who, who was not someone who was following Jesus, who was actively resistant to that. And so the sweet opportunity at this funeral to share, he, he had asked Olivia and I to do his funeral for him uh, before he passed, and we had this sweet opportunity to just share in the final years 
he did come to know the Lord and that he was resting in peace, resting with the Lord at that moment. And at the end, where some of the, um, some of the family and some of the friends came up, just the joy that was bubbling over from them, the thankfulness, the gratitude, was cause for great joy. Where in a moment where they didn't think they had hope for this man, there was, where God had done a great thing. He had given cause for great joy. In a season, perhaps, you know, it comes to mind for me is just this past year of being a part of City Church. It has been an absolute blessing to Olivia and I's marriage, to our family, and it has given us cause for great joy. We have been sad to be gone for the past two months, and we are so thankful to be back with you uh, and to get to know all the new people who are here that we didn't know before we left. It's really cool. It's really cool. Um, and, and as I kind of transition to, uh, to, to speak about this sort of grand scheme. In the grand scheme, how has God given us cause for great joy? I'll invite uh, the, someone to come and play the keys uh, as, we, as we lean into that space. In the grand scheme, it, it's Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that gives us cause for great joy. In the grand scheme, uh, we can learn from the Bible that, that the creator of the universe Set, set all of this into motion. He, he created humanity to have this intimate, loving relationship with him, to walk through life with him. But there was brokenness in the world. There was plenty of things to steal the joy away from people. Uh, there was sin in the world, and we became separated from, from God, from the creator of the universe. And where there was absolutely no way for us to reconcile that gap, no matter how hard we tried to be good enough to be perfectly righteous so that we could be and exist with God again, we were not good enough. There's two uh, very Christian-y words that we often talk about when we talk about the gospel that really kind of paints a clear picture of what's going on there. It's mercy and it's grace. Mercy is not receiving a punishment that we do deserve. And grace is receiving this free gift that was completely unwarranted and, and undeserved. That grace is this relationship with Jesus, to become followers of Jesus, to have that gap reconciled to be with him. That mercy was being spared from being separated from him for for all eternity. And, And here now, if we are a follower of Jesus, we can experience that relationship. We can experience that closeness with him now. And, and it's, it's not something that we need to wait. It's not something that we need to wait to experience the fullness of until we pass, until we go and are with God in heaven. We can experience it now. We can experience that relationship with Jesus now. And I, I want this to, to be clear for, uh, for all of us who are here, whether, whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're just seeking, you're just trying to figure out who is Jesus, is he real? Um, oftentimes we can think of the gospel as something that we heard once, we believed intellectually, that's true, and we became a follower of Jesus from that point on, and we don't really need to think about it, about it uh, since then. But this story of, of, of Jesus, of his life, how he came and lived a perfect life and came and, and died a, a horrific death on the cross to take on the burden of our sins so that we could be reconciled with him is, is one that should inform our whole life, not just in one moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, come back to it. Come back to it often. See what, see what God is trying to teach you through that, how you can react to every situation. Uh, and if this is true, if it's true what the Bible says and the gospel is true, if, if Jesus really is God and he came and he lived this perfect life and he died, there's nothing more important than this that we could possibly dedicate our lives to other than to follow Jesus. There are plenty of things that we can 
pursue, make good things happen, achieve in this world, but there's nothing more important than, than following this, this God, the creator of the universe who created us for the purpose of knowing him and being in relationship with him. And so I just want to encourage us If, if you are wondering, how do, where do I go from here? If you are wondering, um, how, how can I know this Jesus? He's, he's made it simple. He's, he's gone the full way. Uh, but he's not, he doesn't force you into a relationship with him. That wouldn't be love. The, the love comes with the, the opportunity to, to submit and say yes to that relationship. So I encourage you, if you're seeking, you're exploring, you're not sure, is this the person that I want to follow for my life with? Uh, to take time and to, to, to pray about that, to talk to other people. Don't take it lightly. Don't think of it. Have it float out your ear and let it pass, but, but really lean into that conversation. Lean into conversations with people around you. Um, and if, if you believe that you are ready to, to be in this relationship with the Lord, I encourage you. Uh, it's simple. It's easy. It's, it happens in your heart. There's no magic prayer that saves you, that brings you into a relationship with Jesus. It's just acknowledging your brokenness acknowledging your need for a savior and leaning into that space. You can pray and you can just speak to God, ask that he would, he would um, make it clear in your heart, ask, ask that he would uh, be the, the payment for our sins that separate us from him. And I, I, there's, a, there's this one song that comes to my mind a lot when I think of, think of this, this sort of topic of leaning into the gospel and how that informs the rest of our life. Uh, it's this, this gospel song, uh, it's called No Reason to Fear. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. It's a very simple song, uh, and it, it just sort of repeats over and over um, that no matter what the thing that is facing you says, Jehovah has the final say. Jehovah is just another name for God. Uh, no matter what your bills may say, Jehovah has the final say. No matter what the doctor may say, Jehovah has the final say. No matter what the White House may say, Jehovah has the final say. No matter what anything is going on, we can trust and have this peace in, in, in God that he has the final say, that, that in the end, everything will be made right, everything will be renewed, and, and that we can trust that no matter the hardships that we're facing, that those, those won't put an end to, to what God is doing, that he has the final say, that he is in control. And, and we can experience this if we trust fully in Jesus. And I want you to see in this uh, that because we have this cause for great joy that Jesus has given us, that those thieves of joy that we were talking about earlier, you know, expand that all to, to all the sin and the brokenness that you see in the world. You know, you know how we talked about ourselves can sometimes be that greatest enemy. The things that you experience that are holding you back, those things aren't going to bury you. Those things will not stop you dead in your tracks. Jesus was already buried for our sin and brokenness, and he didn't stay buried. If it was on us to carry the weight of that, we would. We can't hold that up. We'd be separated from him forever. But God was gracious enough to hold that burden for himself, to, to be buried and to come back, to rise again. I just want you to take a second and wonder, how would my life be altered? How would my life be different if I believed this at a heart level? Not just intellectually. A lot of us, if we just asked in words, uh, do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe everything will be okay? We might say intellectually, yes, yeah, I think that, absolutely. But when troubles come our way, our heart rate spikes and, and we're, we're no longer thinking of God. We're worried only about our problems. Totally human response. Uh, but just wonder, what would it be if I believed this on a heart level? 
that if when these things hard came, my immediate response would be to look to God and say that I know that you're in control. Help me trust you in this hard space, not ignoring that it's hard, but believing that there's a way. And, and how, do we, how do we really pursue this, right? We can't experience this. We can't force ourselves into this. You can't mentally trick yourself into just trusting God inherently. Um, we want to see heart change, or we need to ask God to change our hearts. Consistency is the key for life change in, in many areas, whether it is that you're trying to learn a new language or you're trying to become fit and healthy. You need to do that regularly. You need to experience that space regularly for that to happen. A walk, uh, life walking with Jesus is a little bit more nuanced than that. It's not a one-to-one sort of a ratio. Pick up your Bible and you level up in your ability to trust Jesus. No, of course not. Um, but we can consistently say yes to putting ourselves in, a, in an environment, in a space where God can work in our life, where we're not resisting what, he is, what he's doing and moving in our life. We need to surrender to him and allow him to change us from the inside out. Some good ways to lean into this you know, just, just basic uh, sort of spiritual principles. Just pray, have conversations with God, see, see what he might reveal to you just through time alone with him. Um, and if you're still not sure if, if God is real or not, prayer is not, it doesn't need to be a big intimidating thing. Uh, if God's not real and you're praying, you're just talking to yourself and no one, no one really cares, you know? But if he is real, you're speaking with the creator of the universe. If he is real, then, then you can truly be transformed by this, this amazing God. Lean into, into the Bible. He can reveal many things to us, even in those long sections with names, you know? Uh, there's, there's truth there that can be revealed to us in that place. Be in community. You know, Drake was talking about a lot of opportunities to be in community. Lean into a city group. Lean in to the people in the, in the chairs around you. Don't just show up and leave on a Sunday. Of course, you're welcome to, uh, but we would love for you to lean in. We would love for you to do that and experience life walking with Jesus and, and each other. And if we truly believe this, then it makes sense that we would want to share this with other people. It's not something that we want to hide and hold for ourselves, but if we truly believe this naturally, it's a motivation for us to go to the people around us and in love and in care, invite them to be able to experience this. We do not convert other people. We do not tell people and then make them follow Jesus. All we do is give people the opportunity to know Jesus. We'd be a bridge for, for that opportunity. And if God, God would um, move in their heart, they can come to know him. I'm going to take a second now um, just to, to give us a few moments of silence just to reflect on, on this message. And then I'll close this in prayer and we'll transition to communion. Just take a second to reflect. What would this be, look like in your life if you truly believed it? Can we have that joy? Jesus, we just pray for this space today. We pray, everyone here, Lord, that that they would be encouraged by this message. Um, They would lean in closer to you wherever they are, Lord, Um, that your word would have been heard clearly here today and that we would all leave here 
just a little bit more encouraged, a little, a step closer to, to trusting fully in Jesus with the hard things in our life. That we would see you moving and working uh, in our lives and in the people around us. And I pray for us who, uh, who, who are seeking and trying to, trying to discern, can they trust you? Can they lean into a relationship with you, Lord? I pray that you would just make it clear in all of our hearts, Lord, that you care, that you're present, that you're near, and you want to walk with us. You're good, Lord. We trust you. In your name, Jesus, amen.